Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. I'm Roddy Brown, and I'm joined by Jeff Mila, as always, but also welcoming librarian Sarah Bowman back to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. And joining us for the first time is another librarian, Cricket Hookstra. Hello. And we're here today to talk about a subject that's a perennial presence on the shelves of a public library, and that's classic literature. We'll talk about what constitutes classic literature, what we love about it, what we can't stand about it, and so much more. So thanks for joining, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Hemingway's podcast. (laughs) Hemingway's fan club. Yes, the Ernest Hemingway fan club for ladies. We ironically meet once a month. <laughs> the meetings are very short. Sparse. <laughs> Does Ernest Hemingway still hate women? Yes. Okay, great meeting. <laughs> meeting adjourned. See you next month. <laughs> I think somebody has to second that motion before we can adjourn. Kind of like seconded, third. Now we can adjourn. <sighs> Forum is reached. we are here to talk about classics specifically classic literature because as happens in the library we were all in the open office just yelling across the room at each other (laughs) about things that we're interested in which is what we do regularly here and then we (laughs) came upon the topic of classics in which jeff made the mistake i don't know if mistake's the right word of mentioning like some arbitrary year i believe it was 1968 right and then i was just like no because they had plumbing then (laughs) so it couldn't have been a classic time however i actually would like to so that's your rule for class oh you're taking it back now so just to give some background so my college was the great books program so that is a very particular kind of thing where the books are selected and they go through a panel of the professors to talk about like why do these books need to be on the program so we started in chronological order meaning my first seminar was about the iliad and we just kind of went through everything in chronological order but there's a difference between the great books and classics And I actually prefer classics because it's not as stringent with the rules. And I feel like there's a little bit more room for everyone in classics. So I guess what is a classic? So I don't think there's a hard and fast definition of a classic, but a lot of people will say it's something that stands the test of time through at least two generations. Mm-hmm. And often they also have something to say about what it was like to exist at the time the book takes place. Mm-hmm. That definition is not saying a whole lot. You could apply it to a lot of things, but... I think a timeless quality is something that does come up when you just sort of like look for a definition of classic literature. Mm-hmm. And then also I would add to that there are things with 
um, wide ranging appeal or that appeal to a wide group of people Mm -hmm. sort of for different things. So, so something that has some depth, some layers, things that reveal uh, different things on multiple readings. Um, You know, I think an easy barometer sometimes is just like award winners. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I actually like, because I wanted to prepare, I like Google just like classic literature. (laughs) And then Penguin has this list of like 100 100 classic books that everyone should read. And they gave like their sort of like qualifications at the beginning. And most of them were actually everything that you both just said. Like, you know, over generations wide variety of like interests in terms of people reading them and then one of them was something along the lines of people can continue to engage these books and still have questions about them even after the hundredth time they've read it or engaged with it that was just like that's really cool I can kind of get behind that yeah that works so that would include some plumbing yes like (laughs) yes there was actually quite (laughs) post plumbing there was quite a bit of plumbing on the like list like I saw something in like 92 or something it was the secret history oh donna tart yeah um so i was just like it's a classic already yeah i was just like wow that's younger than you know half of my siblings but okay (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to tell them that they're a classic already i'm sure they would love that um do you guys have a favorite classic book or one that you return to frequently this is going to be controversial to you roddy I'm so excited. I really like The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. (laughs) And I think part of the reason is because I was assigned to read a lot of classics in middle school and high school that I did not enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. And The Great Gatsby was the first one where I was like, I would read this for fun. Like, (laughs) this is going well for me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And it made me feel smart because the you know, there's a lot of metaphors like the the TJ Ecclesburg and the green light at the end of the pier and stuff where like as a high school student, I was like, I see what he's doing here. And that made me feel really cool. And it did kind of, it was my first introduction to the jazz age, which is a time period I find very interesting. Um, albeit I wouldn't actually want to exist in it, but I do enjoy reading about it. I I like to hear about like they call it the lost generation like and I'll I'll talk about Ernest Hemingway soon I don't have to (laughs) go off on the tangent about him right now but like I am very interested in that whole lost generation thing where they all moved to Paris and were you know running around living on very little money and you know being dramatic and writing in coffee shops and (laughs) going out and dancing in their sequin dresses and stuff like that and I think that F. Scott Fitzgerald writes some very beautiful sentences I also, it was one of the first times I encountered these characters that I didn't like, but I still wanted to read about them. I was kind of like, oh, I don't have to like characters to like get really, really into a book. (laughs) So yeah, I do like The Great Gatsby. I would love to hear what you think about it. This was brought on by the fact that I strongly dislike The Great Gatsby. And <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of like 
I actually wrote in my notes, insert general hatred of the great Gatsby, Perfect. Ernest Hemingway, and of mice and men. <laughs> That's my only other note <laughs> for today. I have a lot to say about those three things, but I think the great Gatsby is like the best written reality TV in a book <laughs> that I've ever seen in my life. It's just like infidelity murder secrets obsession not getting over your ex like i just drunk driving drunk driving so (laughs) (laughs) that i'm like trying to like distill it into like a small amount but it was just i was reading it and i was like i don't care about any of these people nor any of their problems there's so many other things happening right now and Unfortunately, even characters that weren't that bad, like the woman who plays golf. Jordan. Yeah. I also just don't like golf. So I feel (laughs) like she kind of got swept into like my dislike of golf. (laughs) So it it was just... Me and the characters in that book, I is Daisy really that great? Can we No, she's not. (laughs) She's not at all. She's a wimp. She's a beautiful little fool. So I know that's like really harsh to say because The Great Gatsby is now in the public domain. So everyone's been publishing their Great Gatsby fan fiction and I'm really happy for them. And I know that there's like an audience for that, but I'm not the audience because I really did not like that book. I am the audience for it. (laughs) What about you, Sarah? What I'm taking away from this is that you think The Great Gatsby would be uh, better if it had cutaways and confession booths with straight on, I can't believe Daisy crashed that car. (laughs) No, I just, I feel like it would be better if it just wasn't. (laughs) I feel like it would make for a great reality TV show. But I I also like your sentence of, it should simply not be. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're going to have to edit a lot of my scream laughs. laughs. Honestly, we should keep them. It adds like lots of color to the conversation. (laughs) Well, I hate to say it. I, I could probably pick a favorite. I think traditional classic is what we're thinking of. Um, I do not foster a deep love of traditional classic literature. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes, uh, you know, Roddy, you mentioned in college and and, uh, in high school, being introduced to some of these titles, you know, your Hemingway and Hawthorne and Dickens and things like that. And so I didn't connect very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I read all of those books and none of them produced a real passion for me. And I was a passionate reader. I was a total nerdy kid. Mm-hmm. My parents are were educators and a librarian. So I, I come from this like family of people who read big, heavy, thick books. And I never connected with them. The one book in terms of a very traditional classic that I did read on my own and I felt like you mentioned cricket, like I felt smart when I read it because it was really big <laughs> and heavy and I felt cool carrying it around was The Grapes of Wrath Ooh. Uh, by John Steinbeck. So um, dusty. So dusty. <laughs> I th- it introduced a historic period that I think, you know, all you hear is like Great Depression, end of story. Mm-hmm. And it really like brought it to life through this family. And, you know, it's a family saga at the heart of it. And... I appreciated that and I liked it a lot. 
I know a lot of people are really turned off by the first chapter, which is a lot about how the color of the dirt and so forth, um, which is not for a teenager, like super (laughs) (laughs) promising. Uh, But I, like I said, I, that's probably the one of the very traditional, when I think of like books you were made to read in English class, that's the one that I think of the most. We read Grapes of Wrath while my school was putting on a production of Oklahoma. And I was in the ensemble. And I remember, like, towards the end, I think it was, like, our last show, someone just kind of, like, turned to a group of us and was just, like, all of our characters' lives suck, (laughs) like, immediately after this play. (laughs) And that is so... Unfortunately, those two things are like intrinsically tied in my head now. It's just Oklahoma the musical and Grapes of Wrath. But I did like that book in retrospect. It was a good one. And great road trip. There's a great road trip. I'm a sucker for a road trip. So yeah. it's not a it's not a it's not a great road trip, but it but it's an intriguing one. Yeah. Compelling. I would say, I guess for me. I like read Jane Eyre for the first time when I was in middle school and was just like, oh, yeah, this is going to be my personality for several years. (laughs) And so I read that book at least once a year from like seventh grade through high school. Don't ask me to quote it. Long book. I know. But don't like ask me to quote it because I promise you I cannot. (laughs) It's just like once I like decided that that wasn't going to be my thing anymore, I completely forgot. anything beyond the general plot which is probably good for me and my health as a human being because that was a little unhealthy (laughs) (laughs) mary graham and i were just talking about jane Eyre today where she really enjoyed jane Eyre. um and i was saying you know it's a good book but i wouldn't want to hang out with her you know like (laughs) she just you wouldn't want to like party with jane Eyre. you would want to party with elizabeth bennett Yes. Right? Yeah. She would be fun. Yeah. But the thing is that, like, I was an introvert. So I was just like, oh, this little person who, like, does stick up for herself, but is also just, like, completely beholden to her rules and her principles. Yeah, she's kind of To a the jerk. point to where it's a little, a little too much. But I was like, yeah, I can, I can get with that. She's not going to make me go to a party and dance with strangers. Never. <laughs> never, never. That is unseemly in her mind but (sighs) now I'm just thinking about all the books from high school and I keep going back to The Great Gatsby and Of Mice and Men which was a traumatic book to read. Steinbeck is very traumatic. Why is he like that? Because (laughs) okay I'm just gonna go out of Mice and Men rant please just take this journey with me but like the whole like Vaseline and gloves part do you remember that part of that book? I repressed it. <laughs> it. Horrifying. Like, I read that and I was just like, this is so gross. And Lenny deserved better. The puppies deserved better. Uh-huh. Why is Steinbeck like that? Yes. I'm sorry to, like, make you all think about that horrific book. But... Well, so that brings up a question of, like, are there classics maybe outside of Austin that are upbeat or have happy endings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Right. Why because am I forgetting the, his name? Like a lot of them we've talked about so far have been kind of like 
Oscar Wilde well, is here to save downer. the day. This is true. He does like to party. <laughs> there you go. But he's like the only person I can think of right now. And even his parties end in death sometimes. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember who I was I was reading something the other day about um to kill a mockingbird, which I think is considered a classic. It's yeah. again plumbing. But um you know, it's like celebrated as this great book that um you know, Atticus Finch is such an amazing guy because he defended this poor black man. But he lost. He mm. lost the case. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, like, I think everybody always thinks of him as this great hero. And, like, yeah, I think he was, like, a pretty good lawyer. But he didn't, like, save the day. It was not a happy ending by any means. Um, I think it was probably realistic. Absolutely realistic. But, um, you know, he he didn't win. Here's my other um, To Kill a Mockingbird unpopular opinion. Because I think it doesn't have the layers that some of the other classics yeah. have. I always use it as my example of a bad book club choice. Because everybody comes to book club and they're like, yeah, Atticus Finch is great. The mm-hmm. ham costume. The ham su- costume. Super funny. <laughs> do love the ham and costume. And then everybody sits around and looks at each other for the next 50 minutes. Because yeah. <laughs> there's, like, there's just not enough to talk about once you all agree but it was oh yeah it was good yeah 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 no that's a great point yeah to kill a mockingbird i feel like see i knew this was just gonna be me airing grapes the entire episode i'm sorry if like people I'm were expecting me to be like <laughs> upbeat but i mean i totally like originally was introduced to to kill a mockingbird in my sisters used to make me, or I would say, let me read their books for school. And then I would tell them what happened in the book. <gasps> Roddy. Um, <laughs> because I was young and I didn't like know that I was being, yes. yeah, I was, I was baby cliff you. notes. <laughs> so some of these books I read not only multiple times when I went to school, but like once or twice before then, um, not sorry that I'm airing my sister's business out in this way, but <laughs> I remember the first time I read it, I, I too was like, yeah, Atticus Finch is really cool. And then my mom showed me the movie and my mom has a crush on Gregory Peck. So I was just like, Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch is really cool. And then like <laughs> everyone forgets about like how messed up Boo Radley's story is on top of the man who is dead by the end of the story. Yep. And there's so many things that it just took a really long time and multiple reads of the book to get to, not because there were layers, but because the way that book is consumed is that we are told to focus on Atticus Finch Absolutely. and the ham costume. So much goes into that ham costume. <laughs> and I, I feel like people use it to completely ignore everything else about the book. Oh, yeah. That's missing the point. point. I I had to make a piece of artwork based on To Kill a Mockingbird when I was in 10th grade. Uh, It was for a mass media class. And I did like a paper mache sculpture of Scout's ham costume. Like, (laughs) Does this still exist? I'm so sorry to say. I have a drawing that I I Uh did of it. I can bring in the drawing for you probably, but not the actual ham. (laughs) (laughs) So Roddy, so far this has been Roddy's airing of grievances. Is there a classic that speaks to you? 
<sighs> well, yeah, Jane Eyre. But also, I am going to have fun tossing unexpectedly because there was plumbing. James Baldwin into this conversation. Nice. Um, so we did this thing towards the end of the program when I was in college where like we would kind of get to pick things to read. And um we did this, we would also have something called an all-college seminar where everybody would read the same piece. You would end up in a class mixed up of like you know, different professors and different students from throughout the years and some grad students would participate too. And they picked Sunny's Blues one year, which is a short, it can be read as a short story. And I was just like, oh, there's actually this whole realm of classics that I've never read before. Because (laughs) just to put it simply, the classics that we read in school are overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly white. <laughs> so Absolutely correct. I was just like, part of my disdain for the classics was just like, I felt like I was kind of forced to read the same books over and over again, quite literally. And I was just like, oh, there is this whole other like span of books that I've just not known about. So just going to say pretty much anything that James Baldwin has written. <laughs> Has definitely spoken to me. Also, Toni Morrison is considered a classic. Definitely. Which, you know, she deserves rest in peace. So. So I would say, yeah. like, let's open the door to modern classics. Yes. Because that is something that appeals to me. Mm-hmm. I read Toni Morrison in high school and I was like, we read Beloved. Mm-hmm. And I had to do a big group project on it and I was blown away. Yeah. And I think, you know, it. It is a game changer. Mm-hmm. She she was a game changer and I think will be considered a classic. But in terms of the plumbing era, is <laughs> considered a modern classic. Yes. I think if you start thinking about modern classics, that opens the door for women. It opens the door for diversity. It yes. opens the door for authors who write in languages other than English. Right. All of things I'm, I am interested in. Right. Yes. Yeah, so when we go to that realm of like <laughs> classics, that's I'm totally here for this. Um, <laughs> like I get really excited about that because I'm like, because it was a really exciting, like I hate to use the word discovery because it's James Baldwin, but that was a really exciting moment for me. I think it's worth bringing up before we get into modern classics, the white elephant in the room, the hills like white elephants in the room when we're targeting white men. <laughs> Uh, it's time to bring up Ernest. Cricket just put her head in her hands. All right. As, uh... <laughs> just get ready, y'all. Ernest is about to go through. <laughs> so <laughs> I like to tell people that one of my hobbies is hating Ernest Hemingway because I am so gleeful in my hatred for him. <laughs> and I actually I have a, a lot of very close family members who love him. And so part of it started as a way to antagonize my uncle. (laughs) (laughs) But, and this opens up a whole other discussion of can we appreciate art from people who are (laughs) essentially garbage, Um, (laughs) which could probably be its own podcast, right? So I won't go into a whole spiel on that. But here's the thing. Ernest Hemingway treated other people very poorly. And um, (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) 
he he was the worst husband. <laughs> he never took any responsibility for his own actions and has stated as much in his own work um, in A Movable Feast. He soundly castigates his second wife for essentially stealing him from his first wife and ruining his marriage <laughs> as if he had nothing to do with it. Just not a good person. Aside from that, though, I also don't really enjoy his writing. Um, he, you know, is very famous for his spare, um, spare, short, brief, pared down sentences. And I think it's, I do appreciate that he was one of the, probably the first person to write in the Ernest Hemingway style, but because every other like college emo English major copied him for the literary magazine, uh, like by the time I started reading him, he just sounded like all these hipster boys that I went to school with, which came off as very pretentious. So I also enjoy hating that style as well. And I don't need things to be like super flowery, super descriptive. I think you can go like way too far in the other direction, like talking about dirt for a whole chapter or <laughs> another gentleman I'm not particularly fond of named Dickens, who just goes into these long reveries about fog for <laughs> pages and pages and pages. But he was like paid by the page. <laughs> he was. He was. So the, the, the context of the serialization... <laughs> Um, but, you know, like maybe knowing that this person who was paid by the page, uh, like maybe that doesn't translate well to like middle school students, right? Like, <laughs> I totally, agree. <laughs> I totally agree. I think Dickens, I appreciated Dickens more when I read it as an adult. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, that, but that, that is what I think about Hemingway. I hate him so much that tomorrow I'm flying. <laughs> to Key West, Florida, and I'm going to hate visit his house. Um, but I am very much looking forward to seeing all the polydactyl cats. <laughs> I'm like wheezing with laughter. <laughs> Subtitle of this episode is Burn Urn. <laughs> so, yeah, are you bringing pages to like rip up? Or is there going to be any sort of like physical demonstration? Or are you just going to like <sighs> that's not a bad idea? I don't want to spend any money on a Hemingway book, so I'll I will scour the discard pile <laughs> <laughs> and see if I can. Um, yeah, but I will I will shake my fist like this. So I know this is a thing in the bookstore world around this time last year. I don't know if you guys got it in libraries, but PBS did like a special on Hemingway. And so I remembered being in the bookstore, constantly shelving Ernest Hemingway books. And then there was one with like his face on the cover. And it was just making me viscerally angry yeah, every time I thing. looked at it. I don't like his face. <laughs> do you like Fitzgerald's face? Yes, I do. Thank you for asking. <laughs> just He's got really wide teeth. <laughs> <laughs> fair assessments all so there was like a little Hemingway fever last year or so I don't remember when this special came out so I'm just saying last year but it could have been any time within the past two years who knows but um, it was just very frustrating for me because I was just like this guy's terrible like I get it I don't think I was technically assigned any Hemingway books in school 
However, I did take it upon myself to read The Sun Also Rises when I was in high school. And I was just like, this is a nice book. It's also the most misogynistic thing I've ever read in my life outside (laughs) of the internet. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And yeah, that definitely just kind of... What's his deal? <laughs> that that's his deal. Okay. You you put the put a pin in it right there. I was just like, okay, man, why why did people marry him? Why did women like how many times was he married? Four. Why? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> so, yeah, there's no love from Ernest Hemingway on my part either. <laughs> Do you have anything? I probably, you know, in the in the scale of of Hemingway hatred, you know, I feel like Cricket is pretty high up there on the. <laughs> and then I'm kind of like below you, Rod. Okay, I I'm a little bit more apathetic about Hemingway. Okay, I feel like I have read a couple things, was assigned a couple things, and then like it it wasn't for me. And oh, and I love hate reading things. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I totally uh, hate read. Uh, oh, I can't even think of the book. It's the one that comes out after Corrections. Freedom. Oh, I hate read Freedom. Yeah. So I, I do. I, I'm appreciative of like literary passions that burn either hot or cold. Um, Hemingway just doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's not even on my radar. You know. Good. He shouldn't be. Yeah. On anyone's. <laughs> Don't let PBS and their wonderful programming fool you into like <laughs> liking someone who doesn't deserve it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like Hemingway. Hmm. Doesn't toll any bells. <laughs> this is upsetting. <laughs> I mean, I think there are some classic authors, and maybe Hemingway included, is like. In 20 years, will people be reading Hemingway? I hope not. (laughs) Maybe not. I mean, I do think that you can have um, some authors, you know, fall in and out of popularity. And I think maybe some of his problematic Mm -hmm. themes might eventually fall out of favor. I'm trying to think of like authors who that's happened to. Like authors who might have been more prominent in like schools and things like that. Because as we know right now, what's happening is like a lot of books that are centered on, you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community and people of color, those are under scrutiny in schools. But are there any classics that we other I know Twain has been banned, quote unquote, official unofficially or whatever. But I read Huck Finn. Um that was a jarring experience because yeah. <laughs> I had never read it before. Um, and if you read it, I'm pretty sure you know why that was a jarring experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't feel like Hemingway was very pop. I feel like Steinbeck kind of has the like the school system in a chokehold, which I'm more, <gasps> okay, I'm more OK with it for him. Him and like Shakespeare. <laughs> but I'm biased to yeah. Shakespeare, so there's also that. I don't think we need to, like, ban the books, but I think it is a good idea to refresh the school curriculum mm-hmm. now yeah. and again. I think it's in- entirely possible that Twain has 
outlived his usefulness at this point. <laughs> um, I had to read a lot of Twain growing up. My school system loved Twain. In fact, my mother also loves Twain and forced my family to go on a road trip to Twain's birthplace of Hannibal, Missouri one spring break. And if there is a place a 13-year-old girl does not <laughs> want to spend her spring break more than Hannibal, Missouri, I have yet to hear about it. <laughs> it was not a fun trip. It's a lot of pictures of me looking really angry with funny hair in Hannibal, Missouri. But yeah, I know he... People get really excited about Twain because he, you know, he was funny at the time. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if we still think he's funny, but at the time you didn't, you didn't see a lot of humor in your novels. And he, he put the vernacular in his novels, which was exciting back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's this American experience of what America was like at that time. Um, that's fine. I think we can read something else now. <laughs> That's actually something that, like, came up in the notes, too. It's just, like, you know, especially with how many books are published each year, how many books that just are coming out in general or have been out for years at this point, you know, how do we feel about these older classics still being looked at as pantheon of literature is how the notes put it. Is there a part of us that wants to, like, see that change in, like, newer books with more diverse voices be brought to the fore which is once again where modern classics come into play the answer is yes yes (laughs) a thousand times yes (laughs) times yes and i don't think you ignore you know i don't think any of us are advocating any sort of like book banning like you mentioned cricket or Mm -hmm. like but yeah i think you do refresh and revisit what those sort of reading lists look like right and i think you can learn just as much about, you know, his, like, America at certain times by reading Octavia Butler. Yes. By reading a wide range of different authors. Even Angie Thomas. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I think, and I say this because a library I used to work at, I was a teen librarian, and a high school teacher from the area came in and said, she was looking for some new novels to teach in English class that would really engage her students. And I recommended The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And she said, this looks amazing. I'm definitely going to read it. I will not be allowed to teach this because we already have To Kill a Mockingbird on the curriculum. Nobody will let me take it off. And they won't let me teach more than one book that deals with race. And that, to me, <laughs> was incredibly frustrating (laughs) because just like well I already talked about To Kill a Mockingbird but just think which one would the students would connect with more Mm -hmm. absolutely um think which one would like speak to them in the time that they're living in but I think we get a lot of these like parents getting involved who are like well when I was in high school I read this and this and this and this and I think they're really important Mm -hmm. like maybe it was important to them and someone's dad is always <laughs> super excited about Twain or someone's mom. <laughs> somebody's Cop- uncle. Somebody's <laughs> uncle is always excited about Hemingway. And, and, you know, these books were important to them and they want to pass them on to future generations. But, you know, if we all read the same books in high school for the rest of eternity, mm-hmm. we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, I feel like we give the classics this status of being universal 
which we've talked about that. That's one of the criteria for what makes a classic. But I don't necessarily think that every single book necessarily deserves that title or like that being given that as like, oh, yeah, this is a classic because it's universal because... To Kill a Mockingbird, you can say that you read that and you're dealing with race, but as we talked about, most people just talk about Atticus Finch and, you know, the ham costume. The ham costume, yeah. And, yeah, that's, I mean, for example, I have talked about William Shakespeare on this podcast several times, and everybody knows that I love him, but I don't talk about the fact that I don't think high school students should be forced to read Shakespeare. And my argument for that is that it's a play so they should be watching it mm-hmm. and not reading it mm-hmm. because there's so many visual cues that would make it way more accessible to students if they could just watch it. Sorry, this is like, <laughs> I'm like so angry because I've had this argument with people so many times because it happens where like a parent would come into the bookstore and they would be like, hey, my kid needs to read Hamlet, but they can't get the Spark Notes version with the more accessible language that has like you know, how it's written and then how it would be spoken today on the other side to make it understandable. It has to absolutely be in the original way it was written with almost no stage dark. Like, it's just like we make it as hard as we possibly can for students and then wonder why they hate it so much. And it's just like, if this is my introduction to Shakespeare, I too would hate it. But my introduction was watching it. And that's why I was able to enjoy it. So... Just using him as an example for why I don't really like the way classics are taught in general, because we focus so much more on like, oh, yeah, like you said, your parents read this book. And at this point, your grandparents probably read this book. So you also have to read this book. But there's all these new books that are actually so much better (laughs) that we just don't give credit to or just will never be read. (laughs) Yeah, we got to make room. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> no i absolutely agree. yeah it's just, i think it's a great point and i just i feel bad for teenagers because that's we need to stop making them read the great gatsby <laughs> just to bring it back i think this is a this is a fair course of the conversation to go on because we were all teenagers when we read so many of the books that we're currently talking about mm-hmm. so empathizing with the modern teenager is I think secretly what this episode was about. Oh. <laughs> wow. That changes things. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things we haven't talked about is like class, like, you know, we talked about modern day classics, but also classics within genres. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, we've talked about like classic literature, but you have classics within genres too. Is that a different episode, Jeff? I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. You go where you need to go. <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking? Because I like this topic. I was just thinking that you have, you know, one of the, like, definitions of classics is this sort of idea of appeal and layers. And a genre classic author has appeal outside of the genre. Like who? Give an example. Like <laughs> Neil Gaiman. So Neil Gaiman is primarily a sci-fi fantasy author, mm-hmm. but people who don't read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy like Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stephen King, mm-hmm. people who don't read horror often list him as one of their favorite authors. Interesting. Jeff, did you have an example? You were like shaking your hand. I was trying to control myself because I was anticipating whether or not Ray Bradbury was about to come up <laughs> and that's my favorite author. Oh, oh. for sure. 
Ray Bradbury can come up. And I think you list, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin for sci-fi and fantasy or even Octavia Butler for like a sci-fi fantasy. Um, We've talked about Beverly Jenkins on multiple Mm -hmm. episodes (laughs) of this podcast. (laughs) Thank you. And I think somebody who doesn't necessarily (laughs) read romance would also like a Beverly Jenkins novel. Yeah. Or historic fiction. Yes. Like some, you know, lovey-dovey bits. Yeah, <laughs> like little drops of spice, but you know, <laughs> a bit of sizzle up there in the old west. <laughs> no, but that's yeah. No, I mean, I had some people that came to mind when you said that, but as you were listing them off, I was just like, wow, yeah, no, that's a serious thing. That's interesting. Yeah, Ray Bradbury is a great example, actually. Um, yeah. I, in high school, I read a short story by him called There Will Come Soft Rains, which is like a kind of a futuristic after the end of the world sort of thing. And I I don't read a lot of sci-fi. The end of the world terrifies me along with zombies. Um, pandemics. <laughs> Had a little trouble with um, Station Eleven. Anyway, but like, you know, if... If you had told me here you're gonna read this this story about the end of the world and you're gonna love it, I would have said you are wrong, sir. But that short story is incredibly moving and beautiful, and I loved it very much. So he's he's definitely a a classic within the genre. Yeah, I think Fahrenheit 451 comes up on a lot of classic lists mm-hmm. that I do think is a little bit more. Up- coachable or engaging for teenagers definitely um especially the kind of like those of us disposed to kind of bookish nerdy nerdy (laughs) (laughs) um attendances um you know i think there's like a some action it's thrilling it's exciting it's you know kind of like pushes your brain Mm -hmm. to, to places that like you know the scarlet letter kind of Never uh, quite did for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did not love the Scarlet. Even, Nobody does. Even saying his name sounds like a sad trombone. Hawthorne. The Scarlet Letter. Fortunately, I've only read that twice. Um, twice? <laughs> only twice for only your sisters. <laughs> oh, no. What? Those are, that was, both of those instances were for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, my sisters were not involved. They, honestly, just to go back really quick, they're probably the reason why I don't like The Great Gatsby because of the sheer amount of times that I had to read that book for them and for myself. So, <laughs> you know, I'm going to blame them. They'll probably listen to this and text me about it, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I only had to read The Scarlet Letter twice. I enjoyed it only slightly more the second time. It is still a drag of a book. Just such a drag of a book. Like, yeah. I wrote a paper in college that was basically... um, I mean, I'm sure I gave it a better title, but the the my thesis was like Dimsdale is a wimp. <laughs> I just like I was so mad at him. Fair assessments, all. <laughs> that is a book made far more fine and much more accessible by a teen movie adaptation. Which Easy A. I need, I need teen adaptations of classics to make like a strong comeback because they were. Go- I mentioned this before to like Jeff, but like 
I really want to watch 10 Things I Hate About You. So good. Because Clueless. Yes, Clueless. Also, mm-hmm. there is a really questionable Othello teen movie adaptation oh, about yeah. basketball. Like, yep. there are so many... Like, I don't know what was in the water in the, like, late 90s and early 2000s, but I needed to come back because those movies were great. <laughs> well, and Bridget Jones's Diary yes. is uh, Pride and Prejudice a little bit. Yes, with Mr. Darcy. Yes. Oh, Mr. Literally. Darcy. Mr. Darcy. <laughs> Mark Darcy. <laughs> this is actually the entire next episode. We are re- retellings is coming. And I love retellings. I am not a classics reader. I love a retelling. I think eligible is like it's Pride and Prejudice made better. Is that that's Curtis Sittenfeld? It's Curtis Sittenfeld. 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 It's set in Cincinnati. It's funny. It's rich. It's like a perfect ode, and yet it kind of does its own thing too. Nice. The two younger sisters are. <laughs> Into CrossFit. The whole thing is <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I give it when people come in and like are like, I just need a book to read. I need a good suggestion. I'm like, I gotcha. Even if you didn't really love the original, I think mm-hmm. it's just like such a good family drama. And I feel like that's also something with classics in terms of like these retellings, these adaptations make an accessibility to people. Like, I feel like there's this kind of just like, like you said, you read the book and you felt smart. <laughs> so you feel like other people have to read the book or else they don't get to be smart too. It's like, no, you don't get to just watch the movie. You have to read the book or else you're not oh. in our club. And that's a thing with like, that's a thing with classics too, where it's just like, there's this sort of like, I can't think of words today, but it's almost just like a protective, like, oh, no, in order to get into our cool society of important people doing important things, you have to do things in this way. There's no flexibility with classics and how they're taught specifically, which is why, you know, once again, I'm so I used to be so adverse to them until I realized like, oh, actually, once again, like. There are all these classics. I'm so glad you brought up Octavia Butler because I read her after college. And I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. And in my heart, and honestly, in most people's hearts, Kindred is a classic. So I would definitely consider Kindred a classic. Yeah. So I think my Goodreads review of that book, which I read five years ago for Mm -hmm. the first time, was I can't believe this is not taught in every school. Like, this is is a perfect English class book Mm -hmm. there's like all the hallmarks of you know what we talked about being sort of like timeless and the you know layers and things reveal themselves upon multiple readings and I think that a young person would connect with that book yeah um so I'm I'm sorry I wasn't introduced to it sooner right yeah I know that some people like some high schools at least in the Los Angeles area were letting people like kids read that book um I unfortunately was not one of them like I said I read it for the first time after college but I don't once again Jeff you were right this is us like taking on the mantle of protecting the children from people (laughs) who don't want them to have fun when they read but I feel like if I had gotten to read that in high school, I was already going to read all of the books anyway, because that's how it was. But that would have been something else that I could have really enjoyed and like latched onto instead of Jane Eyre for like 
six years in a row. That would have been really good for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, one of the questions is, you know, is the role of reading the classics in like an English class kind of list sense, you know, is it how much of it is to sort of like learn the canon and learn you know, about literary devices and things like that? Or is it to foster a sense of reading? Because I feel like that is a very secondary thing and not quite in a classroom, Mm -hmm. not quite as important. And it's too bad that that takes such a back seat because I think if you only focus on the first thing, it does the opposite of fostering a love for reading. It it turns a lot of people up, I think. Mm -hmm, Definitely. If you're not already disposed to it at home or... Yeah, because from what I remember in school was like the higher level of your class, the more freedom you actually got when it came to reading. So like everyone was in, well, no, I started out in English one honors in high school, which meant that I still had set books that I had to read. But that was basically me being put on a course to AP classes where in like AP language and AP literature while there were guidelines, I actually actively got to choose the books that I was reading. I would report like they might be from a list or like may have been suggestions. But if I wanted to read something else, I could ask my teacher, like, can I read this instead? Mm -hmm. But I got to foster or like maintain my love of reading because I had so much choice even in high school. Whereas, you know, kids who weren't in the AP classes or in the honors classes, they had their set curriculum all the way through high school. And that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, the, that's the lost opportunity for them to be able to find something they really connect with. Yeah. Unless they just happen to love The Great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> um, really quick. So Jeff put this on the notes and I'm actually interested too because I just want to be nosy. And I know we don't have that much time, but is there a master list of books that can never be weeded because they are considered classics? Not in the public library. Oh, In the public library, we're not an archive. Got limited space. If it's not circulating, I get rid of it. I'm sure there are some particular librarians. In fact, I've worked with some librarians who had titles they would not weed the pages could be falling out. It could be out of print for 50 years. Um, you know, it could have like a big booger stain in it and they still wouldn't weed it because this book was like so important to them and it hadn't circulated in 25 years. But um, I say if, if the community is not checking it out, there's absolutely no reason to keep it. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. I think a fiction collection in a public library should reflect what the community wants to read and not what a particular librarian thinks the community should be reading. Yes. And it should look it should look like the community and it should look like, you know, a, a window onto the world of, of what's out there and what's possible. Yep. I think there's no absolutely no reason to keep things. So this is what I I tell people I've had comments over the years from people coming to libraries and saying, like, I don't understand why you don't have X, Y, Z, whatever author. And it's like, if you have some sort of interest in making sure that your local library stocks a particular kind of book, the best thing you can do is to check out that kind of book. (laughs) Because we use that data when we think about buying more books. Mm -hmm. So if, if you 
think that your local library should have a very special collection of antique egg cup price guides. Enter alone a bunch of those in. <laughs> right. If they have one, check it out over and over and over. Um, or if you're a grumpy uncle, or if you're put, grump- it, put it on your calendar <laughs> once a year and make your trip and check out all of the Hemingway books. Mm-hmm. And you take them home and you have your Hemingway celebration once a year. Yep. Read them to your grumpy back. brother. No that- women allowed. <laughs> no, no, no women allowed in this club. Uh, and you bring them back and that won't guarantee that they will always stay on the shelf, but it's a pretty good chance that they will stick around a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Now I'm imagining like a Hemingway reading club that's basically the club from the Little Rascals. Or was it the <laughs> He-Man woman hating club or something like that? Sorry. The sign on the treehouse that says no girls allowed with the backwards as. Basically, but yeah. No, that's cool. That actually makes me really happy to know because I know that's a question that like comes up in the public sphere a lot. It's just like, well, these books have to be there. So it's really nice to hear you guys be like, that's not the case. Thank you. There are probably some differing librarian opinions, though, out there in the world. Yeah. I think that this is just Cricket and I agreeing, but there's lots of probably disagreement. Yeah. I think we're kind of kindred weeding spirits yes. in ways. <laughs> yes. Sarah and I both showed up here and just immediately started weeding. <laughs> um, we like we like books to look fresh. We like books to not have booger stains on them. No, no stains. Um, you know... We like to get all the gross stuff out and get lots of like shiny new cool things in. But that could be a shiny new copy of The Great Gatsby. <laughs> Great is in the title. <laughs> and nowhere else. <laughs> That was our chat with Sarah Bowman and Cricket Hookstra, two librarians here at the Ferndale Library. My name is Roddy Brown, and both I and Jeff Milo thank you for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, which is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by local musician John Duffy. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit ferndalefriends.org. But also remember to rate, review, subscribe, or follow us. If you have your own hot takes on classic literature, you can email us at podcast at fadl.org or just share this with a friend or to social media. We'll be back with ne- <laughs> we'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we did it.